Welcome to another really useful podcast, the Tech Podcast for Technophobes. My name is Christian Corley. I'm welcoming to this week's show Megan Ellis, uh, a colleague from Make Yourself. How are you doing, Megan? I'm good, thanks. And yourself? Uh, not bad. I'm, uh, I'm working on a slightly different setup this time around. Usually what I do is use my PC for recording and then all the links that we refer to I have on my tablet. But yesterday, my Samsung Galaxy Tab S4, which came out last year, it's not even a year old, did something weird. Basically, I sent Megan some links to show her what I thought we could be talking about this week's podcast. And uh, she said, yeah, great. And I put my tablet down. And what I'd been doing is switching between Chrome and Slack in order to send the messages. I wasn't using it in split screen mode, which you can do with Samsung's. Uh, put the tablet down, screen off, put it down, and left it. Well, three hours later, I came back to it, powered the uh, tablet back on off standby, and half the screen was still showing the Slack conversation, actually, and the bottom half of the screen was basically moving at a different speed <laughs> to the top half of the screen. There's a kind of a timey-wimey lag. Uh, so if I press the home button, um, it, the top half of the screen will go home. And then about 10 seconds later, the bottom half of the screen will go home. So anyway, this started annoying me. I did a couple of resets. I ended up contacting Samsung. And I've discovered that Samsung have just launched a doorstep repair service for hardware in the UK. I don't know where else they're doing this. But basically, they come to your house and fix things. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, I got an email, um, a message from them uh, during the night as it happens, and I'll be uh, contacting them later on to uh, schedule the repair of my tablet. So uh, if I feel like I'm getting, if it fits, seems like I, I don't know where I am with this week's really useful podcast, <laughs> more than usual, um, it's because I can't remember where I put my links. <laughs> uh, in this week's show, we will be discussing um, how you can beat Instagram bullies, Add podcasts to Spotify playlists and use Google Password Checkup to help you stay safe online. We'll also be finding out where you can watch classic cartoon TV shows online. What you need to know when you're going to upgrade a smartphone. 10 ways to improve the speed of your router and how to measure distance using Google Maps and Google Earth. Let's carry on then. And cyberbullying is obviously a big thing and it tends to congregate around social media uh, in 2019 instagram on july big pardon instagram launched new tools to combat bullying and a small group of users were using the restrict feature and which is now rolled out to everyone and this is found in the settings privacy screen and it basically allows you to restrict their access to your account what do you think of this megan um i think it's a pretty cool feature um i think blocking a person outright would be a bit more effective but um yeah um it's it's pretty good the ability to control your feed a bit more i know some people are like oh but you know it's a public account you should be aware like you know open to criticism but i feel there's a lot of people who get targeted through social media especially teens um who upload stuff to instagram and it's definitely helpful um, for people who don't want to open up their app and see a barrage of mean comments from specific users. So um, it's definitely helpful, I think, especially for, for teens who are particularly sensitive to cyberbullying and have been growing up in this age of um, 
just constant access <laughs> that bullies have. Um, so I definitely think it's helpful, though I would like to see Instagram definitely roll out more powerful features. Mm. I think, I don't know, it feels to me as if it's aimed at a particular type of user who wants to be public but doesn't want the backlash from people who've got nothing better to do. I think in most cases, especially for teens, restricting accounts to friends only is um, by keeping accounts private or blocking people entirely is a better option. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think... Um, sometimes, especially if it's a, a younger user, that's helpful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's a case-to-case -case basis whether some people are going to restrict accounts just because they don't like criticism um, over a controversy or something versus people who genuinely have trolls and bullies going after them um, who they they should restrict. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think I definitely think Instagram needs to work on it more so that it's 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 not something you can abuse, but it's also something that can protect people from online abuse. Sure. Um, but certainly a uh, encouraging development from Instagram. Uh, let's move on to Spotify, who are now enabling us to add podcasts to Spotify playlists. And if you're on Spotify, you will find the really useful podcast is in there. So you could include us in your playlist of podcasts um it's a cool feature uh which they've announced on twitter in the past week uh, to add a podcast to a spotify playlist you open an episode of a podcast that you want to add to the playlist tap the three dots in the top right of the podcast episode and tap add to playlist uh, you can then select a playlist you've already created or tap new playlist name it and tap create and there you have it i don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to do that for the really useful podcast to be honest with you <laughs> definitely it could be if you you have like a morning list that um you like to go through once a week every now and then you can always curate things that you want to listen to throughout the day including podcasts and some wake up morning tunes do you have any uh, regular podcasts you listen to no, I'm trying to get into podcasts, but uh, I, I do too much multitasking to be able to to concentrate. <laughs> on those yeah, I know things. what you mean entirely. I can't do po I can do video podcasts. So I sometimes have things from uh, CNET or Wired on the TV, mm. uh, or through Cody, which helps. I, it sometimes helps with ideas generation or makes me think about things in a different way, which is kind of useful when you're seeing things about like engineers and stuff like that it maybe helps or it maybe puts me in mind of something I can show the kids podcasting though I tend to leave for the car or the bath because mm. it's very difficult to you know or the garden as well I do listen to podcasts when I'm doing the gardening mm. uh, so yes. if I'm mowing the lawn I might be listening to sitcom geeks which is a podcast about writing sitcoms and comedy that I listen to um, or pro blogger. I listen to pro blogger from time to time as well. Uh, and my own other podcast, um, Casturbus, which is uh, a Doctor Who related podcast. That's about it, really, I suppose. Oh, there's the Retro Hour as well. I listen to that. That's a very cool podcast. That's about basically retro computing. Okay. And that, that's a really good um, retro, retro gaming. But yeah, that's a really fun one. Um, but yeah, it is difficult. I think a, a lot of podcasts. Uh, podcast users uh, listeners I think the commuters aren't they really it's people who, that mm. are commuting and don't necessarily want to listen to music first thing in the morning 
Yeah, and definitely um, people who might have a passion for a topic, like you said, uh, retro computing, and maybe there's there's not much on YouTube in terms of uh, the video podcasts. I find my my thing is that I'm trying to focus now on audiobooks, and they manage to keep my attention a bit better. So when you said those things like commuting, um, gardening, that type of thing, I tend to listen to to podcast podcasts, <laughs> audiobooks mm. instead. Um, because nowadays, because I write all day, I find I'm too tired to read. <laughs> so <laughs> listening yeah. to a book is definitely a way I can get back to that passion without straining my eyes anymore. Um, but I definitely do want to get in um, to more podcasts. I'm interested in hearing about all these true crime podcasts they have out there, um, especially since the TV shows tend to be very, um, I don't know, uh, I forgot what you you call it, but <laughs> they're just like hacky. And <laughs> with the, you can tell where the commercial breaks are supposed to be because there's supposed to be a cliffhanger. So right, I yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. think, yeah, um, podcasts <laughs> would be a better avenue for exploring that. Quite possibly, yeah. Okay, we'll move on to um, Google's password checkup service, which has been built into Google Password Manager, which you will find built into your Google account. Uh, everything's built into everything today. <laughs> uh, research suggests that as many as one in four Americans, that's a quarter of Americans, online use common passwords such as abc123 password 1111 password that sort of thing that no no cyber criminal could possibly think of because they're all idiots uh sadly that's not the case uh google's password checkup has been announced on twitter and it basically works by um you're using a website and using the password and the password checkup will then tell you if the password has been compromised in a known security breach. If any of your passwords have been used on more than one site, because that's quite a common thing is to use the same password for a sort of a period of time. And that ends up, you sign up to several accounts in that period of time and they're all using the same password. It will also tell you if your passwords are so weak that they need strengthening. Mm. That's quite a cool feature. I'm personally using LastPass my passwords although i do kind of have google as a backup so um i don't know why that. i think it's basically i haven't disabled google and the password feature on my account and in chrome so it kind of works in tandem with LastPass. and occasionally it gets confused but generally i think that confusion probably works to my benefits it means i reset passwords more often than mm. i would normally um what, what are you doing about passwords i tend to use the password manager in google um <clears throat> just because I, I was a bit hesitant with the the services like LastPass and um, the various password managers. And then by the time I considered using one, Google already had a built-in one that it kind of just automatically said. So I do tend to use that, um, though it's not always consistent. I'll sometimes find my passwords aren't saved, <laughs> even if I've click, uh, clicked like yes safe password or something mm -hmm. but um this tool is definitely useful i'll put a password check up so good news i have no compromised passwords but wow have i reused <laughs> quite a few passwords and there are some accounts using a weak password though these are definitely accounts um that are linked to old old work accounts i used to have that is the 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 kind of fault of the it guy who was a a favorite um he loved the the password one 
<laughs> variations. Oh, yeah. yeah. So otherwise, I find my passwords are, are pretty good. But I think it's definitely useful to, to see the extent to which um, we kind of yeah, are reusing these passwords. And um, I mean, the problem is, yeah, one, if you use a lot of passwords, one weak service gets hacked and then they have your password to very many <laughs> things. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it is concerning. Mm. So, yeah, so use, use Google's tools to uh, help strengthen your password. Uh, now, everything we've talked about so far, you can find the details of in the show notes, as with every really useful podcast. And uh, while we're here, and we've talked about Spotify already, you can grab the really useful podcast either by listening to it at Make Use Of. You can find us on iTunes at transistor.fm, on Spotify, as mentioned, uh, and pretty much anywhere that you can find uh podcasts these days we're on google podcasts we're on apple podcasts itunes um uh, we're on youtube you'll find us on youtube uh so yeah check that check us out wherever you can and share us as well because i'm pretty sure that we're talking about things that you know about but someone that you know might not know about someone that you know might need to know about that and they haven't got time for reading through loads of instructions they just want a quick simple answer to whether they can do this yes or no if it's no fine if it's yes how put them in touch with us the really useful podcast we're going to carry on with a few tips and tricks now and something useful to keep the children entertained some sites to watch old classic cartoon tv shows online uh, we've got a collection of 10 great resources here for of excellent classic cartoons courtesy of our colleague dan price um we're talking everything here from old warner brothers cartoons to disney cartoons uh marvel cartoons the pink panther uh all sorts uh i'm going to give you a quick rundown of the 10 and then we'll have a quick cartoon chat so we've got boomerang uh which is where you'll find most of the warner brothers and Hanna barbera stuff we've got wb kids warner brothers kids again lots of warner brothers stuff there dc kids the, the you know it speaks for itself toonami aftermath which is where you'll find old cartoon network shows like dexter's lab and powerpuff girls and johnny bravo ho, ho. um got <laughs> disney now thank you we've got disney now we've got topcartoons.tv which is where you find a lot of kind of more um things that aren't related necessarily to any particular franchise internet archive has very old cartoons on it such as woody woodpecker mighty mouse he's on the way he's coming to save the day netflix <laughs> amazon prime and youtube they're all places where you'll find great cartoons classic cartoons and new cartoons i've also um incidentally i've just produced a piece for make use of looking at great uh shows for kind of uh, preschoolers and young children um, which is along similar lines, which we may talk about next time, but uh, it's of a similar kind of a topic. Uh, any favourite cartoons, Megan, from the classic times? Uh, from the classic times? I mean, I used to enjoy Powerpuff Girls a lot, um, Freakazoid, um, hmm? and yeah, um, I'm trying to remember. Like, I, I still remember the ones that I still watch today, <laughs> like Invaderism, but those are the kinds that targeted when Cartoon Network was going through its like rebellion phase <laughs> and had all this meta stuff and mm. very Tim Burton-esque and absurdist humor. Um, I used to enjoy Courage the Cowardly Dog as well. Um, Scooby-Doo, okay, Scooby-Doo was my favorite 
actually. Was that the um, classic Scooby Doo or the, the remake Scooby Doo? No, the old. Uh, oh, the, the old, old one. Scooby Doo. Right. Oh, I, I find the it. I find the remake ones from about two thousand. The ones that were post movies. Those mm-hmm. ones. I think they're really, really good. Is it? Uh, I would. I actually think kids have such like they can definitely benefit from a lot of the old cartoons, but they also have, they're spoiled for choice nowadays. Oh, totally. With yeah, yeah. The kind of things um, that they have. I, I remember as well. There was what was that other one? Um, Mummy's Alive. That I've been trying to find online, which is it's difficult. Um, yeah, and we really. Yeah, nowadays it's it's great for them to see the old cartoons, but also the new ones. Um, I think are pretty cool. Um, the especially the stuff Netflix is rebooting, <laughs> and um, yeah, just some of the stuff. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff we used to watch as children was very odd. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like what was that one biker mice from Mars? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I just remember being very strange. Um, but yeah, it's definitely nice to be able to like select what you want to watch. Um, use these services because yeah, when I was a kid, I was limited to reruns of the same stuff over and over again. Um, when I was, um, I've got two eight-year-olds, and mm. when I was their age, my biggest love on of cartoons was the, the actually there's. What were we talking about? 83, 84, so was that one? Was that one out there? That one wasn't out then, no. Um, but we, yeah, so Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which was made about five years earlier, because um, oh. things always took a long time to come from the US to the UK mm-hmm. uh, in those days. And I tried watching one a few days ago, and it was terrible in terms of uh, <laughs> animation quality. It was really, really bad. The stories were still fun, but the animation mm-hmm. was poor. Um, especially compared to like the current Marvel TV cartoons, which are mm. excellent. Um, I, th- I thought Bruce should really like it. And then I watched it. I thought, Christ, I don't even like this. It's terrible. <laughs> so I uh, beat a hasty retreat from Spider-Man and his amazing friends. <laughs> and, uh, left, it, left it secured in the old memory as a, as, as a, as a wonderful childhood experience that will never be beaten. Mm. That always happens, though, when you look back on old media and then you're just like, yikes. <laughs> a few things that have managed to, to stand the test of time are things like that animation movie, The Land Before Time. Oh, that yeah. Type of, but when I went back to Dragonheart, whew, the acting in that <laughs> <laughs> was terrible. But, um, yeah, I definitely think it's it's nice to have a, a good mix of the old and the new um, for kids, because some, especially those, um, some of the older cartoons had some great stuff for the adults to enjoy as well. Um, and then, yeah, depending on your kid's mood or <laughs> specific personality, they might be into some of the the darker cartoons <laughs> of the old <laughs> ages, like Maybe. Courage the Cowardly Dog and Invaderism and <laughs> that type of thing. Oh, we're getting biographical now. Okay, autobiographical. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's move on. Um, Megan, you've been looking at five questions that you should ask yourself before upgrading a smartphone, haven't you? Yes. So, so that was, I'm planning that was... to upgrade. So why yes. don't you hit me with these things? What do I need to check? So firstly, the biggest thing, does your budget allow for a new smartphone upgrade? Yes, it does. 
Well, that's a good thing because <laughs> currently with a lot of the $1,000 phones out there, people are kind of taking out extra credit and monthly payments that they don't need. Um, and yeah, that's that's the second thing you need to ask. Has new smartphone tech advanced enough from your current smartphone? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a big thing because we're kind of locked into the upgrade cycle now um, that you get with, I mean, the phones are coming out whether or not they've made real developments or not. There's, there's a release window they have to follow. And um, especially you'll see there's some kind of like very tiny differences between something like the S8 and the S9, the Galaxy S8 and the Galaxy S9, where a lot of people feel it doesn't necessarily justify the the upgrade, but you're pressured into it because it's the newest, hottest thing. <laughs> and I think especially for iPhone users, you need to definitely check whether on paper there, there has been enough of um, progress basically because you don't want to be sold on marketing about this great new phone and it turns out in reality it's not much different than sure. the last thing and then uh, three does your smartphone contract need reviewing yes it does yes so that's a big thing because sometimes we might be a bit lazy to upgrade and we might be like oh I'll sit with my same device um, but if if data rates have changed, um, if plans include a lot more of your like SMS limits, talk minutes, that kind of thing, um, it definitely makes sense to upgrade your contract um, or even move to a SIM-only contract. Um, or conversely, um, if your needs have changed and you don't need such a big contract anymore, that's a big thing. It's almost downgrade your contract then. Mm -hmm. You can still get a new phone. But if if you you no longer have the same needs, um, especially in terms of talk minutes, SMS limits, that kind of thing. Um, and then four, does your smartphone still meet your daily needs? Yes, it does. And is it is it doing them well? <laughs> uh, most of the time, yeah. It's quite cool, actually. I don't know if it's an Android thing or a Sony thing, but they've started telling me to reboot my phone every week. Oh. Uh. So I have a, I think it's especially in the later versions of Android, my phone automatically reboots every two days um, just to kind of get the the RAM refreshed and that kind yeah. of thing. Is that without um, warning or does it sort of like give you the option like Windows to sort of like do it now or schedule it for later? It automatically does it overnight. Um, right, right, okay. Usually I find it's, it's reset. <laughs> but considering that um, most of the stuff you use on the phone will be cloud saved anyway. It's not like I'm going to have a Word document that's, sure, that's yeah. going to have been reset and lost all my work. So it definitely helps, especially when I've been, um, I've got all these apps running in the background. Um, and then, yeah, um, in terms of the questions, yeah, the last one is, are there cheap alternatives to upgrading? So if... Oh, I don't if, know. Why don't you tell me? <laughs> so if it's something like the battery's letting you down, then mm -hmm. in some cases, phone manufacturers have, um, within the warranty period, uh, battery replacements. It's not as easy. We can't do them ourselves nowadays without voiding the warranty. But if it's just something like your battery's lost capacity over time, that can be an easy and cheaper fix than upgrading your phone. Um, and then, yeah, especially if it's just something 
that needs something that needs repairing or, oh, there's not enough storage. But if you have expandable storage, a lot of these are small fixes. So you should only consider upgrading your phone when, in my opinion, <laughs> when your your phone stops um, doing the things you need it to do. So if the cameras are like becoming outdated and you need a high-performance uh, smartphone camera for things like if you're an influencer on social media and you need to take great pics, or if your phone, yeah, like I said, if your phone battery is degraded and you don't really have that option to to replace your battery, or if the whole thing's just slowing down and the the various fixes you have that you can speed up your phone just aren't working anymore, then sure, go ahead and upgrade. But it's basically about being um, cognizant that you don't always have to automatically upgrade and that the latest is not always the best. <laughs> and um, especially in times when now I've noticed nowadays a lot of the, the prices have inflated just along with competitors. So it's not necessarily about value for money and, and what um, the phone is worth essentially it's kind of more about well our competitors raised the price to this much so we're going to do that too yeah um so yeah just up, you don't always have to upgrade sometimes sitting with a, a phone for a little longer waiting for something better um especially one that's advanced a lot can be worth it totally totally excellent tips there from megan do check that out in the show notes especially if you're planning on upgrading in the near future i have been planning to upgrade and now i'm completely uncertain whether i want to <laughs> uh, not purely down to megan i might add but uh, <laughs> purely because the phone i was looking at was a samsung and after yesterday's events i'm not entirely certain uh we'll see how the uh, doorstep repair service goes uh we're going to move on to a excellent look at ways that you can improve the speed of your internet router courtesy of dan price now uh, there are 10 steps to this i'm not going to go through all of them because some of them are a little bit too in depth uh so i'm going to do a bit of paraphrasing uh the first thing that you should do if you're finding that uh, your home wireless network isn't as fast as you want it to be and you're pretty sure that everything is arranged well in terms of the positioning of the router the first thing you should do is restart the device because it might be that it's getting a bit clogged up with connections that it doesn't need or that there's a problem with the actual IP address that's been assigned to the router and restarting it um, if it's been up for running for quite a while uh, should prompt the your ISP to assign a new IP address which may be result in uh, some better performance. Another thing you can do is to add a new antenna to the router uh, after the market antennae can be purchased online from amazon and other places and they're attached to um, the same little screw on portions where the existing antenna are positioned now it might be that you're using a router that's provided by an isp and it doesn't have antenna in which case you can't really do this because the antenna is built into the case uh, some things that i'm going to skip over which you will need to look into in more detail based on your router's documentation because all router interface is different is to disable older wireless protocols change the channel width and the other options of optimizing um, the channel that the router is broadcasting over now if there is an option to do this and it does depend on your router then installing 
new firmware on the router is a great thing to do because it enhances the features that you've got. Um, Tomato, OpenWRT and DDWRT are third-party firmwares for routers, but they don't tend to be available, again, for routers provided by internet service providers. So uh, you'll need to uh, research whether or not your router is compatible with those firmwares. If it is, then it's pretty much a straightforward task of uh, copying the firmware to a USB stick, connecting that to the router, and restarting the device and going from there. There are various ways that you can change the position of your router, as uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, we've, um, I'll try and get this in the show notes as well. We once um, produced an article called uh, Wireless Feng Shui, in which the idea was to find the optimum position for the router in your <laughs> house. And that, I mean, that works wonders. For, for example, uh, my router is positioned so it's perfect for use downstairs. It's not so good for use upstairs. My dad is the complete opposite. Okay, so he's got a router in his office on a desk behind his computer on an external wall of the house facing into about quarter of the rest of the house. So I can I can park my car outside the house and get a great signal. I can be downstairs in the living room <laughs> waiting for Amazon Prime to come through the fire stick. And, you know, it's going to be like 30 seconds, maybe a minute, <laughs> waiting for the data to hit the fire stick. It's so <laughs> annoying. Um, so, yeah, optimum route location could potentially resolve your problems with um, Internet speed from your router completely. Um, but it's finding that optimum position. So experimenting with route location is really important important um it might you might think it's a bit impractical as well and in many cases it is so what i would suggest you do is get a phone set it up as a wireless hotspot in tethering mode and then just walk around the house leave it in particular places where you think are likely to be good places for the router to be moved to and just see what connections to your hotspot are like from different parts of the house it's not going to give you a perfect reading because obviously the router is going to be different to the phone but it's going to give you a good idea of how wireless signals are traveling around your house uh so that's that yeah and check the full list in the show notes um i think you'd be um quite interested and impressed by the various things that you can do to improve the speed of your router and i say just restarting it is always a good option and we're going to move on now to our final tip today um which is courtesy of megan which is how to measure area and distance in Google Maps and Google Earth. Um, this is something I find myself trying to do the other day. I was trying to work out the distance between two points on Google Maps and realized that unless I was just putting in, and it was a crow flies distance, I could, it was easy mm. to get the distance with, you know, by road, but I didn't need mm. that. So, what's this all about? How do we do this? Well, Google's actually made it much easier than they used to in the past. So essentially, when it comes to Google Maps, measuring distance and area is essentially a um, process of right-clicking, <laughs> selecting measure distance, and then selecting your points. So you can choose wow. just A to B um, as the crow flies type of thing, or you mm -hmm. can add multiple points along a route, say a hiking trail or something, to get a much more precise type of measurements and as soon as you essentially close a loop or an area it automatically 
will calculate the, dis uh, the area for you. So um, as soon as you join back to your first point, um, it automatically does the calculation, which is really useful. And wow, it, it yeah. provides it yeah, both in kilometers and in miles. And um, yeah, uh, you can do it for, for large areas or smaller areas. It's, it's just basically how precise you want. It's, it's when you get to Google Earth that things are a little bit more complex because Google Earth is a much more powerful tool. It's standalone software in, uh, versus a Chrome or browser-based software. And um, that's essentially uh, where you can get you know, just much more precise things. But again, um, in your menu in Google Earth, there's a standalone icon that's for measuring distance and area. So it's not nearly as complex as it used to be. You click on that and then you click your different points and it, it does a real-time update of the distance. You can also convert it. Um, you'll get a pop-up and you can convert it to different measurement units. And again, as soon as you close the shape, it will calculate area for you. Um, again, because Google Earth's more powerful, some people use it for much a smaller kind of thing. So instead of like measuring a plot of land, they want to measure the area of a face of a building and that's where it becomes a bit more complex. Um, so if it's something like you want to measure a path along an incline, you can simply go into, still use the same measure tool and go into a 3D view. So um, for example, in the article, I'm tracking a hiking point along Table Mountain in South Africa. And there I add a whole bunch of points going up the incline so that it doesn't just, um, if it's on a 2D kind of plane, it doesn't kind of miss out that some of the distance is going to be along an incline and not necessarily something that's reflected in, in a 2D representation. Um, and then when it comes to measuring something, a, a 3D object like a building or a height, that's where things become a little bit more complex. Um, so this is where you have to use also, oh, so Google Earth, sorry, uh, disclaimer <laughs> or correction, Google Earth can be used in the browser, but Google Earth Pro needs to be downloaded. And that's where you get these more advanced measuring 3D object tools. Um, okay. and it's, it's much more kind of older looking software. Um, it's open source software. It's free. And, um, what you essentially need to do is, <laughs> let me just double check everything. Um, oh, again, there's a ruler icon that you click and a menu pops up and here you have many more options. So it's no longer just about a line or a polygraph, um, a, a path or a polygon. What you need to select is a 3D polygon and that essentially lets you zoom in and trace along a 3D object. So for example, I did the Statue of Liberty um, I found it was relatively accurate um, because I did Google the the height of the Statue of Liberty just to check that it was um, kind of working out all right. And then when it comes to measuring the area of that, you can again just add points, multiple points as you click along, and then connect to your final point and it will automatically connect uh, calculate the area. And so the Statue of Liberty herself seems to be 318 square meters along her main body 
Um, and you can do that with the faces of buildings. I did find it wasn't as accurate when it came to something like the Empire State Building. I was trying to calculate the height and then the area of the face of the building, but that is okay. also up to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why people want to. Well, I don't know why people want to work this out, but apparently people want to know, um, okay. and that becomes a bit more inaccurate because obviously. Um, you know, uh, it depends where you're measuring from. Are you measuring from the dead center of the building's foundation? Are you measuring from the face of the building? That's where it becomes a bit more complex. But basically, if you want to do these measurements, they're pretty easy to do. They're a lot simpler than they used to be. And yeah, if you if you want to do these really intense measurements, you can use Google Earth Pro to do that. Oh, okay. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, I just... Um do check that article out because Megan's provided great screenshots to guide you through doing that. Uh, it's really detailed look at the whole process. So do check that out. Thank you, Megan. And uh, that brings us to the end of this week's really useful podcast in which we've looked at how you can beat Instagram bullies using the restrict feature and how you can add podcasts like perhaps the really useful podcast to Spotify playlists and how you should use the Google password checkout feature to stay safe online. And those are all new things. We've also looked at some tips and tricks, how to watch classic cartoon TV shows online, what questions you should ask yourself when upgrading a smartphone or smartphone contract, 10 ways to improve the speed of your current router, and as you just heard, how to measure area and distance on Google Maps and Google Earth. Big thanks to Megan for joining me once again on the really useful podcast. Uh, As noted, we are the the tech podcast for technophobes. So do share us with friends and family who will benefit from. So do share us with, with friends and family who will benefit from uh, any tips and tricks that you might have heard in this or previous podcasts uh, from Megan and myself and the really useful podcast team. Until next time, it's goodbye.